Good morning, church. Let us stand, reading of God's word. Uh, today's scripture reading will be from uh, Matthew, chapter 19, verses 13 to 30. Uh, we're going to do a responsive reading. I'll read the first, you can read the next, and we'll read the last uh, verse together. Matthew 19, 13 through 30. Then were there brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. One came and said unto him, Good mass, what good thing. And he said unto them, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which these thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And saith unto him, all these things have I kept from youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away in sorrowful, for he had grit. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? Jesus held them and said, This is him. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have thereof, therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, That ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve songs, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Amen. Really, to, uh, to mean anything they want it to mean. But essentially, a parable has at least one point. Uh, which usually comes at the end. And the parable, as you know, has characters. And each character you should look at as having a point. So there is a point from the perspective of each individual character uh, in that parable. Now, for example, um, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, We know that one, right? There are three characters there, right? There is the resentful son, uh, there is the lost son, the, the prodigal son, 
and the, the gracious father. So the prodigal son, the rebellious son, the point there is what? Sinners can repent and turn to God, and that's for forgiveness. The resentful brother, those who claim they're God's people, should not be resentful when God extends his grace and forgiveness onto others. And then you have the gracious father, those who claim... Uh, God calls all to repentance and willing to forgive the repentant heart. So this is the way a parable uh, works, and this is our rules of engagement uh, for a parable. And, and finally, the point is at the end, but the, point, the main point that we discover must also be what Christ and his audience would have understood it. See, Christ is telling a story. How would his, his audience would have understood that story is the main point of the parable. So let's go to Matthew 20. Matthew 20. And we'll read verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to, to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. Again, he went about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that ye shall receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came, and when they that came were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, These have wrought but one hour, and hast thou made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day? But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Dost not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto the, this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil, because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this parable. We thank you, dear God, for the truth and the message in this parable. May, may you help us, dear God, to understand your truth here this morning. Pray, God, that you would 
Help us to clear our hearts and minds, Lord, and that you would prepare us um, to hear what you would have us to hear. Use me, O God, as your vessel. Grant us your peace, your strength, your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. So who are the characters in this parable? Who are the characters? We see the householder, a.k.a. the Lord of the harvest, a.k.a. the good man of the house. Who's this? Of course, it's God. The laborers, the laborers in the vineyard. Who are these? These are the believers. These are the believers that work in God's vineyard, in God's kingdom. Who else? The others other standing idle. Who are these? Well, these are unbelievers. Unbelievers that God does save and put into his vineyard. And then we have the steward. Who do you think the steward is? The steward is Christ. John 5.22 says, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment, Unto the Son. What's judgment? Too bad we don't have Christina here. I thought Christina was going to be here today. And actually, Kerry and Charlie are out today as well, or else Charlie knows actually how to sign language. Um, so, anybody know how to sign language? Huh? No? Hey? Okay. Anyway, Lord bless you, brother. Um, John 5.22, for the Father judgeth no man, but committeth all judgment unto the Son. What is judgment? What is to administer judgment? It's to administer what is right. What did the, the, uh, the householders say to those that were idle in the marketplace? Go into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give thee. Another indication that this is Christ. Uh, as a steward, Matthew 16:27. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Why does Jesus speak this parable to his disciples? What is he trying to teach them? The key is in 19. The key is in 19, starting in verse 27. It says, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration whom the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye shall also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So this is specific for his, 12, uh, his disciples. And everyone that, that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. And that's for everyone. In verse 30, But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be fir- first. This verse 30 is in response to Peter's comment in verse 27. So this is a warning, basically. It's a warning to what Peter has said. What do you think was in Peter's heart when he made this comment, when he made this statement? Jesus, we gave everything up for you. What are we going to get in return? 
Do you think this was a, a wholesome, humble question? Or do you think there was some level of pride and boasting in that question, in that statement? So what Jesus is saying in verse 30 to his disciples is this. You'll be rewarded. You will be rewarded, but I'm warning you. You need to have the right heart attitude. Why does Jesus give his, this, this, this warning to his disciples? And specifically, actually, Peter. Because Peter was a spokesman, right? Why? What happened in Matthew 16? What did Jesus tell, Matt, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus tell Peter in Matthew 16? You are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. You know, when I was in the Marines, we also called people rock. But it had a different connotation. You were called a rock either because you were smart as a rock, right? How's a rock smart? Or what happens to a rock when you throw it in water? It sinks. Well, that was that rock. We had... Um, Swim qual in boot camp, we had a, we had a, it's, it's, it's not just swimming. You had to really do survival um, training in the water. And I'm a guy from Brooklyn. I never saw the water. <laughs> so I got to, and, and I passed every single point of the test. And I get to the last point, and I'm there in my full camis, my boots, my pack on my back, and my rifle on my shoulder. And I'm standing on a 20-foot um, diving board. And I had to, dive, uh, to drop off the diving board into the water, take my pack, bring it to, my, to the front. It's supposed to keep you afloat. And swim to the end of the pool with everything, including my rifle. I hit the water. I took the pack. I put it in front of me. It did not keep me afloat, and I went straight down. They had to fish me out. And all I, all I remember was they were just yelling and screaming at me and making fun of me. I was just happy to be alive. They took me out of the pool. I, I didn't know where my rifle went. I didn't have my pack. And I was just like a fish out of water. And for the next four weeks... I spent in, um, in survival training, uh, water training. And they taught me actually how to survive in water and how to, how to actually keep afloat, which is pretty cool. Uh, it's called explosive breathing. So I finally passed. Um, but I had to train not to be a rock. Peter is training to be the rock. He is to be the pillar of the church. And God, Jesus, sees in him the wrong heart attitude. And he, he needs to change it. And he gives us the parable. What was the attitude of someone, of someone who will one day be the pillar of the church? Look at verses 13 and 14 at Matthew 19. 
It says, Then were these brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray, and his disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, suffer, suffer little children, children and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. That's the second time he said that. Look at, look at 18, chapter 18. Verses 1 to 4. For the, same, for the same time, the disciples unto Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The disciples had a problem with you know, being great in the kingdom of heaven. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So, actually, in 19, it's the second time that Jesus is telling them, you need to be like a little child. You need to be humble as a little child. You need to have the, the, the innocence and purity as a little child. You need to, you need to have uh, the simple trust in the Savior as a little child. But they still didn't get it. Look in 20, Matthew 20, 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee, children uh, with her sons, worshipping him. The sons of Zebedee Zebedee were James and John. Uh, Worshipping him, desiring a a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, Jesus knows everything, right? And and he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit uh, thee on the right hand and on the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They saith unto him, With pride we are able. Jesus gives this warning in the parable, but many are first. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. How would they have possibly understood this? Turn to Matthew 8. Matthew 8. Verses 5. Starting in verse 5. Matthew 8, verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say unto this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, 
in our time, wow, that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham. I'm sorry. Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here was a Gentile, a Roman soldier, in whom Jesus saw the faith that he had yet to see in all of Israel. And tells his disciples that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. At the boot camp, I went into my reserve unit. And one night we finished training and we went to have dinner. Um, So for some reason, I got there late, a little late, just by a few minutes. Everybody was still online. Everybody was in the chow hall in in a big line. Uh, And so... I got there a little late, and I went to the back of the line. In the back of the line was all the staff sergeants and sergeants and gunnery sergeants, and they all told me, go to the front of the line. And I was just a, a PFC, private first class. Um, and they told, me, they told me to go to the front of the line. I was like, okay. And as I understood it, as I, as I grew in the Marine Corps, um, the idea was, and I didn't understand why at the time, but... The senior um, staff, what we call the NCOs, um, they make sure that the troops eat first, you see. So it's not like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a gunnery sergeant, you know, I'm going to go first on the line and eat. No, no. They make sure that the, the lowest ranks go first. And then if there's food left over, they'll eat. Okay, that was the mentality, at least in the Marine Corps. Uh, Army too. So it's a military thing, I guess. And that's a, good, that's a good principle. When we get to heaven, it's not going to be like Jesus saying to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, okay, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, go to the back of the line. Tina, Nana, and Jackie, you come to the front. It's not like that. The story of this Roman centurion tells us that the criteria for entering into the kingdom of heaven is not whether you're Jewish. It's not whether you're of the nation of Israel. It's but whether you have faith in Christ or not. There will actually be those of the Jewish nation that will be excluded from the kingdom. This phrase has nothing to do with being rich or poor or signifying some type of social role reversal in the kingdom, but everything to do with the condition of our hearts and thinking that we deserve some special honor because we've sacrificed, right? What did Peter say? We, we've sacrificed everything for you, Jesus. What are we going to get? This, isn't, this is the context in which Jesus is responding to Peter. But here's the kicker. 20 verse 16 says, after Jesus says, the first shall be last warning, For many are called, but few are chosen. What does that mean? Look at 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. It says, Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence 
to make your calling and election sure. First, Second uh, uh, Peter one ten. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling. That word calling means invitation and election. That word election means selection or chosen. Make your calling and election sure. So, for many are called, many are invited, but few chosen. Chosen is the same word as election. God's invitation of salvation goes out to many. It goes out to all, everyone, the whole world gets this invitation. But the chosen are the ones who receive forgiveness and accept Christ as their Savior. But does God select one over another? The Bible says that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundations of the world, Revelation 13, 8. Obviously, God, God has foreknowledge, right? But whether you believe God's foreknowledge is passive or causative, meaning that his foreknowledge causes something to happen, will guide your theology one way or the other. And we won't look at the verses, but if you're jotting the verses down, Acts 2.23, Acts 2.23, 1 Peter 1.2, 1 Peter 1.2, Romans 8.29. You do your own study. But here's what's important. This is what's important. God's invitation is for all. God's invitation is for all. God does not reject one soul that calls upon him for forgiveness. If you're without Christ today, God wants you to sit with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob in his kingdom. He wills that none should perish. In our rules of engagement, we said that the main point of the parable usually comes at the end, right? Look at verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? The overarching theme in this parable is the sovereignty of God. God is free to do what he wants. You might think, well, God is not fair. Think about this. Do you want God to be fair to you? How do we even measure or begin to measure fairness of God? We need to be careful not to impose our ideas, our ideas of fairness upon God. Romans 5.20 says, Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Is that fair? We're all sinners deserving God's wrath, but God in his love and mercy saved us. The message in this parable ought to impact us to strive to rest in the sovereignty of God. All that was the introduction. I only have two points. Only two points this morning. Um, This parable brings out two key aspects of his sovereignty that we ought to rest in. One is rest in the work of salvation. Rest in his work of salvation. Salvation is God's work, not man's work. God is the one who initiates salvation. 
Jesus in this parable tells us that the householder went out five times throughout the day to hire laborers in his vineyard. Not one of the laborers went out to help him. Not one of the laborers did anything but work in the vineyard. How shall we understand this? Well, someone's salvation is not dependent on what I say or don't say. Someone's salvation is not dependent on which track I give them or don't give them. Someone's salvation is not dependent on whether or not I use Romans Road. How many times have you heard someone say, man, I should have said this to them, or I should have used this verse? As if there's some type of formula that we have to execute that gets people saved, and it's all up to us. We need to rest in God's sovereignty over the work of salvation. Otherwise, you know, we can get burned out in serving the Lord. We can. In being discouraged and having, you know, it distract us from the work that, we, that he has put us to. You know, and this is especially true for missionaries. At work, we have um, a, a referral program. So, and my company's pretty big. We have different departments. Um, over the years, we were a really nice small, tight-fit company, and that was huge. Um, and there's this referral program, and when there's um, spots to fill, HR sends out these mass emails, right? We're hiring. WSP's hiring. And so there's a li- in the email, there's a list of the positions that are available, and then to the right of it, they give an incentive, 3000 to $5,000, uh, if your refer- referral actually um, gets hired and stays for six months. So a month ago, I lost an engineer. Um, so I've been super busy at work. And um, Kathy put me on to a lead um, of a person that used to be on her team. And they had to lay her off during the pandemic. We actually, we had four, diff- we had four layoffs in the pandemic. Um, so she actually made it to the third or fourth. Uh, so she was good. This engineer was good. Um, so I'm like, Kathy, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm so swamped. Uh, I need to hire somebody. Um, so in order to hire somebody, HR has to put um, something into the system and it has to go, whatever. Anyway, um, so Kathy gave me someone. So I, I went and and listen to this um, referral program. So you have to, like, make a, uh, an account. And I went to the account. And it actually shows you all the people that have uh, referred someone. There was someone that had 171 referrals. 171. Guess how many got really hired? Zero. Now, I did the math. Right, on an average between three and five thousand dollars per referral if they get um, hired and and they stay for six months, it's over six hundred thousand dollars. I want to know first of all who this person is. <laughs> but the thing is this: how does this person find the time to do this? One hundred and seventy-one referrals, really? 
you're hired to engineer. You know, it takes time to, to do that, to find someone, you know, to talk, maybe, maybe, not, maybe not talk to them, maybe get a, a resume and just to look or whatever. Um, but then you have to like, kind of like, you know, fill out this form on the referral program and whatever and maybe contact the person. I don't know. Um, for me, it was easy because I, I had the person's cell phone number. I said, Cindy, I'm going to send you a, a referral. Answer it. We're going to hire you soon. Um, so she starts Monday tomorrow. So praise God. Um, it's a distraction. 171 referrals to actually do that. It's a distraction. You know, when we have to put it upon ourselves, thinking that we have to save someone, that's a distraction. That's a discouragement. How are we going to do the work that God has brought us to do here? I'm not saying that we don't give the gospel. We don't, we don't witness. and we don't, I'm not saying that. What did Jesus say about the rich young ruler? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed. They said, then who can be saved? Jesus responded, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. God is the one that makes salvation possible, not us. Aren't you amazed how God handles this man? He comes to Jesus, the true God, the true eternal life, and says, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? He says to Jesus. Imagine someone coming in here and saying, uh, excuse me. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to receive it? You'd have five people taken to the side, right? Bibles out taken through the Romans road, prayer of salvation, they're saved, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. What does he do? Jesus goes right to the thing that keeps this man apart from salvation. And that's his love for his possessions. Jesus didn't, immediately, you know, Jesus didn't take this guy to the side and give him the Emmaus road. No, he went straight to the very thing that kept this man between himself and salvation. Nothing wrong with possessions. We talked about, actually, we talked about that this morning in the ABF for a few minutes, right, at the end. Nothing wrong with possessions, but do we worship and idolize them? This is how I see salvation, or the work of salvation. Four years ago, um, I planted four grape branches. It was just this big, just a branch, nothing on it, just a branch. So I was like, I don't know, whatever happens, happens. I have no idea. Because uh, when I was a little boy, my grandfather 
Uh, and, I, and I live in the same house I lived since I was two. So I remember my, my backyard, um, we had this long trellis, and my grandfather made it out of pipes. I don't know how he did it. Um, and it was like these four pipes in the ground, four corners, and, and he, he, he made this long trellis. And we had grapes. I mean, and, and actually, we used to have parties, um, birthday parties and things like that, dinners, uh, underneath the grapes. And when it rained, guess what? We didn't get wet. So I had that, like these, you know, uh, these memories when I was young, and it was so great. And I really miss it. I really miss um, some of the things that I grew up with. So I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to just plant grapes, you know, whatever. If it comes, it comes. So every year, all, all I would do is really um, dig around the, the, the grape branch and just put fresh dirt um, and water it from time to time, and that's it, really. That's all I did. And then, you know, every year, I would just, the dead branches, just cut them. Just cut the dead branches. Last year was the first year I got grapes. That was amazing. You know, wow, I got grapes. Um, so, but all I did, really, was just put the thing in the, in the ground, and every year, just put a little dirt, new dirt around it. You know, I buy this dirt from Home Depot, the... Uh, um, miracle grow dirt is really good. Um, that's all I did. That's all I did was, and, and then this water rate. God did the rest. By nature, you know, rain, and by, by the way, rain is better than uh, tap water. Rain and, and sun, you know, what God created, my grapes grew in four years. Right? The fourth year, I got, I got grapes. That to me is salvation. We do our part. God does his. And just do it and don't worry. Right? It'll happen. In the parable, when did God, when did the householder um, take the people from the marketplace into the vineyard? At his time. Right? In the morning. It was actually five times, right? It was, it was dawn, the third hour of the day, which was nine o'clock, um, the sixth hour, which is twelve, and um, um, the, 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 the six hours, whatever, and then eleventh hour was five o'clock. So it was his time, and the laborers were in the vineyard working. Here is turn to First Corinthians three. First Corinthians three, and, and, and this is a great illustration of how salvation works. First Corinthians three. Five to nine. First Corinthians three five. Who then is Paul, who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. That's the, that's the parable. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. 
You are God's building. See, we are co-laborers with God. We are co-laborers with Christ in this work of salvation. But the work is God's. Ultimately, God does the saving, not us. We should not be discouraged and distracted, but just continue to work. So we will faithfully do our part, and God will do his. So we need to, work, we need to rest in his work of salvation. And, and secondly, we need to rest in his sufficient reward. We need to rest in his sufficient reward. What's the number one thing that people complain about at work? Huh? I can't hear you. The management. Okay. What's the second thing? You're right. What's the second, what's the second thing? He said management, the boss. Paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get paid enough. Right? I don't get paid enough. Uh, some people make their, you know, and, and I say this, some people make their own limits of what they're willing to do based on their salary, even if it's in the realm of their work. And, and I'm not thinking of one person at work. <laughs> um, You know, salary is a touchy subject, right? You know, it's like this, this, this unspoken law. You don't tell anyone your salary. It's private. And you especially don't tell your coworkers. You know, one year I found out what my peers was making. I said, no way. I said, all right. We have performance reviews, um, I think, in around, I don't know, November, December. This goes back 15 years, by the way. Okay? We have performance reviews. I said, okay. I waited for my performance review. I said to my supervisor, I said, I don't want a raise. I want a salary adjustment. I said, I know so-and-so makes this this amount of money. I said how much it was. I said, I know so-and-so makes this, this amount. He said, okay. Okay. I learned early on that bosses are challenged with fair salary structure. Okay? God is not like that. God is fair. God is just. God is generous. The householder and the first group of, of laborers, they agreed on what? A penny or denarius a day. You know, I heard it said, uh, it, it, a, a denarius is a, a daily man's wage, you know, minimum, minimum wage. You know, we hear the word penny, we, we, we kind of associate it with the penny of today, right? But look at Revelation 6.6. 6. It says, Revelation 6, 6, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. Three measures of barley um, could feed a family of three, is what I read. A denarius, you know, I, I, I tried to look up denarius. I found so much stuff on denarius. Um, so, I, I still don't know what it is. 
uh, it, it says here, originally it was worth 10 bronze asses. Asses, not, not the animal. It was a, a specific Roman coin. Uh, originally worth 10 bronze asses, and denarius coins were re-denominated to 16 asses in 145 B.C., a value that was fixed until the final denarii uh, was struck in the, in the 240s A.D. Whatever. Uh, the key is this. Those that were hired in the morning, they agreed to a penny. So they agreed that what the householder was paying them was adequate. They agreed that it was fair. The householder told the others, whatsoever is right, I'll give you. You know? And it, you read the parable, it, it seems they were just happy. They were just happy to have a job. They were just happy, whatever is right. I, I, I guess they thought maybe, you know, okay, they're getting a penny, we'll get maybe a little bit less. Okay, I'll, I'll take that. I got a job. They trusted the householder to give them what was right. Aren't we just happy that God saved us? Aren't we happy just that he is forgiving us and continues to forgive us of our sin? Aren't we happy that we have his grace every single day? So what? We don't have the highest paying job. So what? We don't have the fanciest clothes to wear. So what? We don't have the nicest home to live in. So what? We don't have the nicest or maybe the, the latest iPhone. Every day we wake up, we wake up to new mercies where sin abounds. What does the Bible say? Where sin abounds, what abounds more? Grace. And of his fullness have all we received grace for grace, or grace upon grace. Here's the interesting question, and we're almost done. <clears throat> Why does the householder begin to pay the last laborer as opposed to the first? Why? It was to expose their selfish, jealous, and envious heart of this first group of laborers. Is thine not evil because I am good? Beloved, what's in our heart when God, when we see God rewarding and blessing those around us more than he blesses us? Or, or why is God blessing that church with the nicer building, with more classroom spaces, and better coffee, not Dunkin' Donuts coffee. <laughs> but you know what's the scary part? This is really scary. I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. This is really scary. In the parable, when is payday? Matthew, yep, 20 verse 8. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. Remember, we said the rules of engagement of a parable? Uh, details have meaning. Even, or evening, is eternity. Is Jesus in this parable 
suggesting. Before I say that, 2 Corinthians 5.10. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5.10. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat, or the bema seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. The Bema Seat is for all... You're reading my lips, aren't you? That's great. Um, The Bema Seat is for all Christians. Is Jesus in his parable suggesting that when we get to the Bema Seat of Christ, that he will expose our jealous and envious heart in front of everyone? I surely don't want to find out. Do you? This parable is to reinforce Jesus' statement in verse 30. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Jesus was confronting and correcting the selfish and envious hearts of his disciples. Jesus wants to do the same for us. Today. Transformation happens now. Not when we get to heaven. Not when we get to the beam seat. It doesn't matter when the Lord saved you, but that he did. We'll all end up in the same place because of God's grace. Everyone in the kingdom will be honored. Everyone. God is not a respecter of persons, and neither should we. Let us rest in the sovereignty of God. As we close, I want to share one more thing. And I, I didn't have enough time to develop it. Um, we need to see this parable in light of Matthew, our, our um, scripture reading, Matthew 19, 13, Matthew 19, 13, to the end uh, of Matthew 20, Um, Verse 34. Let me just show you real quick. Matthew 19 and 13. Look what happens. This is interesting. I, I I never saw this. Then were, then were the, then were there brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them. So the people brought their little children to Christ so they can put Christ's hands on them. And his disciples, what did his disciples do? Rebuke them. Go to now Matthew 20. Verse 30. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, that son of David. And the multitude rebuked them. This parable is in the middle of two rebukes. It's not Jesus' rebuke. It's man's rebuke. 
thought that was interesting. You know, Christians oftentimes think, oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes think that we know what's best. And we think that Christ is in agreement of how we handle certain situations. But in light of this parable, and again, I I wasn't able to develop it, take this parable, pray on it. There's two rebukes in the beginning and the end, right in the middle of this parable. You know, Jesus is trying to show, no, this is the way it's done. Rest in my sovereignty. Listen to me. Look at me. He had to tell his disciples three times within three chapters, be humble. So let us, let us rest in God's sovereignty. I love that because I, I just see that as, you know, a, a, an image of, of rest, sitting down at, at the seaside, um, just maybe listening, maybe that the person there is Christ. You know, just listen, rest, listen to Christ and rest uh, and see what he, how he guides and leads us uh, in this day. You know, the day in the parable is our life. That's the day that we work, the day that we work here on earth. Let's stand and pray. Father God, I thought I had water. Father God in heaven, we thank you. We thank you and praise you for your love, your grace, your mercy, your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for this parable. Dear God, forgive us. Lord, you see our hearts. You see our selfishness. You see our pride. You see our envy. Lord, you even see within our hearts how maybe we rebuke uh, each and every one of us for maybe uh, what we think the way things should be. Oh God, forgive us. Forgive us of our sin. Forgive us of our pride. Lord, may you touch each and every one, every heart here today. And I do pray, you know, this this message was um, for the believer, but also for the non-believer. The invitation is for all. The invitation is for all. Do you want to be the chosen? The one to believe the one to believe on Christ for salvation, the one to accept and to receive His abundant grace. If there is someone here, with eyes closed and heads bowed, if there is someone here that still has not bowed the knee to Christ, we sang, bow the knee this morning, someone still yet not been hired not been hired to work in God's vineyard you 
you know, the, the, the laborers were busy in the, in the vineyard. I really don't think they were actually thinking about their reward. I think they were just actually happy that they were hired and, and being able to work. Beloved, I don't know what you are going through in your life. I don't. Um, but I too know that God knows, right? We learned the verse this morning. God knows everything. God knows our heart. As we work, don't think about the reward. Don't even think about the difficulty in the work. But just rest in God's sovereignty. Rest in what God can do. Eventually, we will get our reward. We will have a reward. But it really doesn't matter what it is. I'm just, personally, I'm happy that God has given me grace each day. Each and every single day. Not only grace, but mercy. God is so merciful to me. If you are yet without this mercy... Respond to the invitation. God does say, all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not impossible. God, God made it. We saw, you know, it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It may not be possible for us, but with God it is possible. Maybe you actually praying for a, a friend or a, a family member. It's not impossible for God to save them. I've been praying for my mom and family over 20 years. Father God, we thank you, we praise you for your goodness and mercy. We thank you, Lord. You are a generous God. You are a merciful God. But may we all be ready for the beam of seat of Christ. May you remove all jealousy and envy, pride from our hearts here today. In your name we pray.